Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast for film fans by film fans. Every episode, we look at films old and new to choose what should be preserved for all time in our movie vault. With lively topics, big questions, and crazy challenges to entertain us and our guests, we always look to have fun by giving you the topics worth discussing and the movies worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a preview of what to expect in today's episode. We're all going to say hello now to, you know, hi, future David. <laughs> I hope you enjoy the future. I hope Craig's not too harsh on Tim Burton. So, you know, <laughs> we're going to speak to our future selves. Craig, you got any messages for future Craig? Don't do it. There's so much to live for. <laughs> Laura. Why haven't you watched Gremlins before, you fool? <laughs> all Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the topics worth discussing and the movies worth watching. I'm your host, David Osger, and as always, I'm joined by our very own jolly old Saint Nick, Craig McDonald. Oh. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that uh, quite implies when it hasn't got the rest of it in it, but uh, <laughs> we'll move on. <laughs> to be fair, it's not it's not really Christmas yet, so as far as I'm concerned, the closer to Christmas we get, the more hoes our lad. Not <laughs> ever a sentence I thought I'd ever say in any other context, but... The, the more hoes come into Craig's life, the closer it gets to December 25th. Keep that in mind in, gen- in January, guys. Uh, so, yeah, Craig, we often joke about how you stay away from Christmas-themed episodes and content, so does that mean now that we're in December that you have finally broken the seal on some christmas specials and some movies that you've been meaning to watch or yeah so i can happily say for everybody who is is interested for whatever reason in your lives that the official ban on me watching anything christmas related is officially over (laughs) (laughs) so one thing that um i started watching about i think about 18 months ago uh, but never carried on finish, uh, finishing because there was a Christmas special in between uh, season one and season two. And I was just like, oh, well, I need to see the Christmas special to know what's going on uh, is, uh, is Man Down. So I'll probably start watching that again now. That or I'll, also I may revisit some old like Vicar of Dibley because obviously they've got, their, uh, they've got their lockdown special coming up uh, over the festive season. Like, I assume you're just going to be watching the Star Wars Christmas special over and over again, David? <laughs> Well, not like the old holiday special. I think that's quite hard to find. But I watched the Lego one. I wasn't too impressed by that. But yeah, for me, it's a lot of like Christmas films that I've had on the list for many years. I still to this day have not watched Arthur Christmas. And every Christmas I'm like, I'm going to watch that one because I know everyone always goes on about it's underrated. So this year I'm going to watch Arthur Christmas. Um, Claws as well. I didn't get a chance to watch that last year on Netflix. And um Mary Poppins Returns, even though that's not like quite a Christmassy film, I know it came out around Christmas, and Mary Poppins is often associated with Christmas, so I might do a double double feature of those. Why? Why is she associated with Christmas? Just because she's a magical figure coming from the sky <laughs> with a large bag? It's just one of those films that's always on BBC One at like 12 o'clock on Christmas Day, isn't it? I always remember like, yeah, it's just on at Christmas. Yes, but... so is... Sh- so is Shrek. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I kind of consider Shrek a Christmassy film as well. If it's on a Christmas, you know, it's Christmassy to me. That that's that's where we're <laughs> the least Christmassy. You've film got issues. <laughs> if if Craig went down my line of thought, like he would have so many things he couldn't watch throughout the year. <laughs> but anyway, speaking of Christmas, we are joined today by a previous guest who has often been associated with Christmas on this podcast. They last appeared on last year's Christmas special, which seems like eons ago now. So we are very glad to have back on Laura Lyshan. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me back. It's it's a pleasure. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a pleasure to have you back, Laura. Like I said, we've uh, we've been eager to, to have you back on the show. Like I said, you're one of our oldest guests in terms of being on the podcast, not actual age. <laughs> I think that was uh, won by possibly one of our previous guests, actually, the, the other day. No no shade on them. So, yeah, talking about Christmas, I remember when lockdown started, seeing on social media, I think I think you were, a, you were a pioneer in this, Laura. I think you were one of the early people to actually say, let's decorate for Christmas early because of lockdown. Like, were you saying that in, like, April or something like that? Oh, gosh, yeah. I think I think it must have been, like, the first week of lockdown. And I kind of said, just treat it like Christmas. You know, put your decorations up, eat all the food, drink all the drink. Like, nobody's going to wear your pyjamas every day. It just, it's just Christmas. <laughs> but I think I said that in the thing of, this is only going to be for, like, three weeks. And it turned out to be, like, the rest of the year and probably next year as well so spirits up but i did notice there was a lot of people who used they, they obviously saw what i had written and then yeah. reap it in their own words and then got thousands and thousands of likes on twitter which i was hooked <laughs> with to be honest yeah after all this time you must be must be sick of that christmas tree in the living room now though <laughs> Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Can't wait to put it away. What a way to betray the spirit of Christmas! <laughs> so uh, yeah, we we spoke about lockdown, etc. You know, we've had previous guests on, you know, who have obviously used lockdown in different ways. You know, through ent- entertaining others, etc. And you know, especially for yourself, because as we've previously mentioned, you do a lot of gaming streaming. So you know, that's been an ideal time for that. How how has that gone this year? It's gone amazing. Amazing, absolutely. I think because the people who haven't been at work or unable to go to work and have needed something to do in the day, there's been so many people who have just come over and just been like coming in and watching me over on Twitch, just streaming everything and everything, just having a great time. It's been really nice. It's been nice. It's a nice way to keep up with people as well. To, to actually have some sort of social interaction with people every day as well, which was nice because otherwise I'd just be in house <laughs> on my own for most of the day. So it's nice to have a bit of back and forth with people, even if they were complete strangers on the internet. So yeah, it's one of the good things of 2020 is br- brought us all together. Uh, so you know, we we obviously also talked about Christmas, and that does tie in, you know, to this time of year. We are now in December, and to what we've previously talked about. You know, last year we talked about Elf. Um, and we sort of touched a bit on, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas, which I don't know if you've seen, but just on Netflix now, they've dropped the holiday movies that make us, which is Netflix's sort of series about, you know, behind the scenes, how, how they made these, you know, beloved movies. And they've done a special Christmas one for Nightmare Before Christmas and and Elf. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, I've not seen those. I'll have to yeah. check those out, definitely. Yeah, I think it's perfectly set up for you, Laura, those, <laughs> those two films. 
So today we uh, wanted to use the spirit of Christmas and the fact that it is December uh, to kick off some traditional holiday viewing, but we thought, you know, we'll give it a bit of a twist, and we decided we're going to focus on some darker Christmas films. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to go down, like, you know, Krampus level or anything like that. We're just talking about those sort of still charming, still Christmassy films, but a bit of a twist. And, you know, somebody like Tim Burton, who, you know, was involved in Nightmare Before Christmas, is a classic example. And his film, Edward Scissorhands, is actually celebrating um, a milestone anniversary this year. So what better time to talk about Edward Scissorhands, which is also one of Laura's, you know, favourite childhood movies. And we thought it was a great chance to talk about another film, which has often come up as a, you know, hidden, you know, underrated Christmas film, uh, which is Gremlins, because that is often, you know, touted as like this big, fun, horror, goofy comedy. Uh, But it does take place at the Christmas time. So we thought, what a great time to talk about sort of dark Christmas films, which aren't strictly about Christmas, but happen at the festive period. And, you know, it has great relevancy to, to all of us here today. So, you know, with Laura, you know, we've previously said, you know, you, you've been quite a big Tim Burton fan in, in the past. Um, but, but for Craig, you know, not, not so much. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I can't really say that I'm a fan of the overall style. I think the problem is because he's such a distinct director in terms of being quite gothic, quite dark, quite visually striking. For me, the problem is he doesn't make a lot of his actual films distinct from each other he just he just makes his films distinct from other people's films so a lot of them just blend in blend into each other for a while and then that's a bit of a problem because for me it's a lot of it's a lot of style that masks a lack of substance so there isn't really much story and i get distracted from that um so what i'm hoping with this film because this is one of his more beloved films is that because it's like earlier and it has a lot more like nostalgia and whimsy to it that it doesn't have those problems necessarily and it's able to draw me in a bit but you know we'll see yeah that's you know that's a great element of today's episode is the fact that you know we're going to have this opportunity to talk about our expectations about the films before actually watching them we're going to do like a bit of a time travel during this episode so you know craig's talking about his expectations for edward scissorhands because he hasn't yet seen it uh, but later in the show he will have through the the wonders of technology but you know laura tell us about you know your previous experience with edward scissorhands you know where, where are you coming from with this film so this is a film i've probably watched maybe three or four times probably watched it first and I was about 10 or 11 um but I don't think I've watched it for a good number of years it's, it's got to be coming up for 10 years since I've watched this film it's been a long long time wow. um I've seen it in bits in that time but I haven't watched it in its entirety for for a very long time so I, I I'm looking forward to to uh, to watching it again i think part of the reason why i haven't watched it is um one it wasn't in my house and two my sister had to scour the house for it for the dvd <laughs> like, where so it must have been put somewhere where we just didn't know where it was just like out of mind out of sight out of mind kind of thing yeah but yeah looking forward to to re-watching it and what about the other film we're watching today, Gremlins? I know that one you said, you know, you've never really seen this entirety, I think, is it? Yeah, so I've seen bits of Gremlins. I know the whole thing of, you know, don't feed them after midnight, don't get them <laughs> wet kind of thing. But they do do that in the film and uh, <laughs> stuff happens that is bad. But apart from that, 
I can't really remember anything that goes on in the film. So looking forward to see that one as well. Definitely going to be be a good watch for sure. Yeah, it's not one you've ever sort of sat down and been like, right, I'm going to watch this entire thing in one sitting kind of thing. I think it's one of those films, isn't it? Yeah, it was like that a bit for me when I was like young. I remember it being on TV and even my, I think my cousins were watching like, oh, it's Gremlins. And I think like my auntie or my nan being like, you know, oh, is this too scary for, you know, for David? Because I was a bit younger than them at the time. So then I don't know, maybe because of that, I never watched it. And then years later, I was like, oh, this is one of these films I need to, to now watch. So yeah, it was only a few years ago that I sort of fully rewatched it. But but I'm looking forward to, to rewatching it again now again, because it's, it's around Christmas time and it's got like some great elements to it and it's also a good chance for me to maybe follow it up with a sequel as well um what about yourself craig if you know what's your experience with gremlins i have literally no experience with gremlins <laughs> i think again i know i essentially know the meme elements of it so the so like laura said just the don't feed after midnight stuff but i've i've had literally no connection with this film whatsoever i've never had the opportunity to see it i've never never been around the tv when it's been on but at the same time as well i that's translated into i've never before had a fascination to then try and what to try and chase it up mm. so so this could be like an undiscovered gem for me hopefully but i don't really know what to expect i mean if the central premise genuinely is they get uh, they get these creatures at all don't feed it after midnight or don't get it wet and then the kids do both of those things. I'm unsure about how much I'm going to like these kids. Because it's literally just a case of, oh, what's the harm? Oh, I don't know. How about everything you were told? <laughs> Typical 80s hijinks, you know, like, oh, those teenagers, what are they doing now? You know. Yeah, I just, as long as they give me believable reasons why they've, why they've done this, then I'll probably enjoy the film fine. If they don't, I'm just going to be like, I want to murder these kids. Hopefully the gremlins do it for me. <laughs> yeah, well that that's the interesting thing. Like I said, today, you know, we're we're recording this now before we've seen these films, we got our expectations and and yeah, like I said, I, I don't know what the outcome will be. I you know I look forward to it. I think to me, I imagine the gremlins will be the preferred one of Craig, you know. Like Craig said, I think Edward Scissorhands is one of Burton's earliest films, so there is that going for it and it has made such a you know it it did help skyrocket his career along with Batman, etc. So there is that element. There might be, you know, the, the sophistication of it that you, you latch to in that sense. But then at the same time, there's some parts of it which are very Burton and very, you know, gothic and that kind of thing. So there is still the style aspect for it. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. What, what do you think, Laura? What In terms of our reactions, what do you think they're going to pan out like? Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think I think Craig will prefer Gremlins, but hopefully there will be aspects of Edward's hands that he'll sort of think are admirable then. Well, you'll find out, guys, when you hear our reactions. So we're all going to say hello now to, you know, hi, future David. <laughs> I hope you enjoy the future. I hope Craig's not too harsh on Tim Burton. So, you know... <laughs> We're going to speak to our future selves. Craig, you got any messages for future Craig? Don't do it. There's so much to live for. <laughs> Laura. Why haven't you watched Gremlins before, you fool? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we shall be joining ourselves soon for after we have watched all of these. So, which for the listeners at home is right now.
is some huge house, isn't it? Hello? Why are you hiding back there? You don't have to hide from me. I'm as harmless as cherry pumpkin. Those are your hands? Those are your hands. I think you should just come home with me. Joyce, I just saw this strange guy driving with Peg. Did you get a good look at it? Hi! Scissors! Whoa! Look at handshake you got there, Ed. <laughs> Kim, this is Edward who's gonna live with us. Well, this must be quite a change for you, right, Ed? Those things are cool. Can I bring him to show and tell on Monday? He's a highly imaginative character. It seems clear that his awareness of what we call reality is radically underdeveloped. Eddie, you take my very breath away. Do you have a girlfriend? Oh. <laughs> is there some special lady in your life? Skewered kid. Just a scratch. The power of Satan is in him. I can feel it. Grab your weapon! All along, I felt in my gut there was something wrong with him. From Tim Burton comes the most incredible tale of a most unusual character. Edward Scissorhands. Hold me. Yes, so we are back after watching Edward Scissorhands and Gremlins. Uh, it's been quite a long journey now since that first recording, guys. Even some of us have aged, you know, an entire year in that process. And yeah, we're starting off with Edward Scissorhands, uh, which was released in 1990 on the 14th of December, which means that it's currently celebrating its 30th anniversary uh, pretty much as this episode comes out, which is uh, really great timing as well. Uh, this is from Tim Burton, so a big reason we wanted to talk about it is because myself and Laura are big Tim Burton fans. As we explained before, Craig a bit more sceptical about it, and we are talking about sort of more unconventional Christmas films of a darker, more gothic nature. This is obviously a famous film because it was one of the films that kick-started Johnny Depp's career. You also have Winona Ryder, Diane Wiest, uh, Kathy Baker, and you have one of the last appearances of Vincent Price. So go to yourself, Laura, first. As uh, as we said in the past, you know, to pass Laura, who we've only just, <laughs> the people at home have only just heard pass Laura, uh, you know, y- you hadn't watched this in quite a few years. So uh, how was it compared to how, how you remembered it? Yeah, I re- I really enjoyed it. Um, I think I enjoyed it more now than I I, I say I I don't think I've watched it properly for a good ten years, um, maybe even longer. But I think I think I really took more from it this watching around than I did in previous watches. Yeah, definitely. I, I I had the exact same experience, actually. It's like, you know, you're watching it like, oh, I'm surprised how many messages and sort of jokes and commentary there is in this film. Um, I think it's definitely as well, well, I think a lot of Tim Burton films are very personal to him. You know, his style reflects in it quite a lot, which we had mentioned previously as well. You know, you were saying about how he's, you know, more of an oddball and he's quite relatable. And I think that's what makes him such a big name as well, isn't it? That that's evident in his films that, you know, you can almost see Tim Burton in the characters 
themselves and especially like Edward Scissorhands, you know, you just watch any of the behind the scenes, you are like, oh, they're like the same guy almost, you know, like kooky hair and, you know. Uh, so, you know, how, how do you find this as as a Tim Burton film? So, like for myself, when I originally watched it when I was younger, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, and let's watch, you know, one of the original Tim Burton films to sort of get a flavor for this this filmmaker but you kind of, I kind of just saw it as more the like bread and butter Tim Burton you have to watch this to sort of appreciate him but but yeah looking back on it now I was kind of like oh you know I realize how much of Tim Burton is in this and how how much classic storytelling and different directing techniques and stuff were in it so how, how do you see it in in sort of the the scope of his work and his style oh yeah I think it's I, I think it's I think it's one of his better films um like what I and I I I love Nightmare Before Christmas as well, but when I compare it to that, like Nightmare Before Christmas is all kind of like, apart from like the Christmas scenes, I guess, but then they all are just kind of trying to capture Santa Claus and there's, you know, all the doom and gloom kind of stuff. But this one is so set, you know, it's set in this idyllic little cul-de-sac where all the houses are perfect and, you know, they're all different pretty colours and stuff. And then you've got Edward, who's just like the complete opposite of it all, which sort of just makes it even more like creepy that this guy is just in this town because he sticks out like a sore thumb. Just like, who who is this person? Like all, all of the neighbours like gossiping over the phone, like, who is this person? Like, who is this? Like, we have no idea who this is. Like, obviously they're bored housewives who have nothing else better to do with their life, but yeah, it's more obvious how odd he is and how, like, obviously in, like, other films where there's, that the whole film is odd or gothic or spooky, mm. it's not so obvious that it's, like, that they're strange characters because they have that universe, whereas he is sort of thrown in and sort of like, oh, my gosh, who is this? Like, yeah, wow. Or sometimes his other films might be masked by the visual effects or the bigger story so if it's you know like one of his big budget films which he later started doing or even like I said you know one of his films that would have been made around the same time like batman you know he he can easily mask that because he's like oh i'm adapting batman so of course i'm going to have a psychotic clown and a, a man who dresses as a bat but then when he creates his own character which is similar vibes to that there's not that sort of adaptation aspect for him to lean lean back on i suppose batman returns is a bit more of that kind of i'm going to take this adaptation but take my own style and take it this this crazy route but to me as well it does strike me that i always remember like reading about how this was very personal to tim burton because that little suburbia you mentioned is based on his experience as a kid growing up in middle america so you kind of can just imagine that like tim burton just felt like I was Edward Scissorhands. This was like how all the people were around me. And this is like me just commenting on all my neighbors, basically, when I was a kid kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, but obviously, like we said before, uh, you know, w- watching back through these films, uh, we had uh, a non-believer in uh, Tim Burton, which was Craig. So uh, one of the big questions before watching these, Craig, was, you know, which will you prefer Edward's hands or Gremlins, and uh, me and Laura had our bets on Gremlins. So, so what is the answer coming out of it? Are you sure? <laughs> well, are we still sticking to Gremlins, Laura? After after we've both watched the films now, do we still think that 
the gremlins would be the preferred one of Craig? I don't know. I don't know. Mm. It's hard to say, isn't it? Yeah, like watching them back, it just depends on which angle and which route you take. But I'm going to say personally, for a personal appreciation, it would be gremlins. Craig? (laughs) It's gremlins. I'm sorry, this film didn't do anything for me. First of all, we, we brought this film in because of the idea of the associations with Christmas. And I remembered the one scene that I saw had snow in it. Turns out I saw one of the only scenes in this film with snow in it. This is, why are we talking about this film in a, in a unconventional Christmas? Is it that it's so unconventionally not Christmas because it's just not a Christmas film? But well, also, they do have a Christmas party in the film though, so. Yeah. Wait, do they? Yes. Yeah. Was that for Christmas, though? Yeah, they had a tree up and everything. They set up the tree. <laughs> All right, well, that one part of the film there. <laughs> but for me, unfortunately, I, I felt like a lot of the problems that I had uh, like still persisted with this film. So, I mean, it, it feels hard to comment, uh, commentate because both of you have just been talking about how personal and how representative of Tim Burton's life this is. And I'm just sat there being like, well no that like i think it does then like i said if if you didn't like this film then it's like where's other ones like you said say you had watched something like you mentioned before dark shadows or um charlie and chocolate factory or even some of his more again like out there ones then you could say oh well maybe it just was a case of that was a bit too kooky or that was a bit too dark like I said you know corpse bride that kind of stuff but if like I said if you don't if you Whereas Edward Scissorhands is more of this like typical fairy tale story, and even though apart from the kooky stuff, there's still this whole like, oh, you know, all the town turn on him, and it's that idea of the outsider, and you know, there's all this commentary. But if you just don't get on board with any of the aesthetic stuff in the first place, it just goes to show this is just not my type of film, isn't it? So I think that Edward Scissorhands would be the epitome of that for you isn't it just the like yeah you could say that there's all this stuff in there but i just can't buy into it because i just don't get on board with it from the get-go kind of thing it's just a case of i i didn't get into the film i can't say that anything like outright offended me apart from maybe like a handful of elements i thought the the the, i thought the romance between uh edward scissorhands and what what was uh winona Ryder's character's name kim kim i i thought that was way too idealized to the point that that they basically just awkwardly stare at each other from points and then like this love just sort of blossoms and i mean some the things the scenes like that just came off as creepy and unfortunately they chose probably the two actors who when staring at each other probably do have an intense creepy showdown because you have Johnny Depp covered in those scars, like looking as timid as he does. And you have Winona Ryder, who's the living definition of like deer in the headlights. Like, I just remember the scene of the, what, what was it? It was an award that Stranger Thing, uh, Things won. And she was just on the, on the stage, just darting her head around at everything. <laughs> I just couldn't take that image out of my head. But yeah, I mean, I could definitely tell it comes from, uh, it comes from the idea of somebody who was, uh, wanting to create uh, create allegory to situations uh like my big problem with situations like that is that the the town was so flip-floppy in terms of what perspective they had about him i just would have liked to have seen like actual discussions of regressions getting to that point i understand the the bored suburban 
housewife's point, but there are some things that they don't they don't explain even then to the point that like um the the woman who was trying to seduce him turned around and say that like he assaulted her just out of nowhere. It was just like, wait, what? Why? Why are you doing this? Um and just uh and just the boyfriend was just like typical no need for this level of being a terrible person like bullying um yeah i just i i just didn't i just didn't get on board with the story and also just also just i don't know what they did with the scenes to explain why he has scissor hands but they just flew over my head so could one of you explain why does he have scissors for hands well, I was just going to say, they don't really say. It's just that he wasn't complete, but they don't say specifically, I don't think, why the inventor give him scissors as as to any other replacement. <laughs> That's just ludicrous. <laughs> I, get, I was just like, okay, I wonder why it's scissors. I wonder, and I was even expecting it to be, like, some deeper purpose thing, right? Because they obviously acknowledge the fact that he's a creation as opposed to some, like, somebody who's just been, I don't know, like, weirdly transplanted. And I'm just like, okay, wh- why scissors? Yeah. And then they just they just do so much weird slapstick with it. I think that's the problem as well. They want to make it so emotional. They make him so serious that when he's doing things just uh, just like trying to pick up peas, mm. um, that charm just doesn't work for me. And also just every time he's like trimming a hedge or uh, cutting ice or cutting hair, I, I just... I hated those scenes because it's just him wildly flailing his hand to make you could tell somebody's behind the door just like chuck up chuck up the leaves now that was the stuff that was in my head though I was watching and like when we just said Laura like we didn't know which way Craig would go with it and I was watching that thinking this is the two ways you could go with it Craig will actually get on board could could either get on board like oh I love the insanity of this or like said, like this is ridiculous. Why are they having such ridiculous? It doesn't help the fact that obviously I saw uh, Johnny Depp in Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber's Fleet Street before that. So I know that he can <laughs> fling around razors in a fairly sophisticated manner, as opposed to just like doing the equivalent of two children just like bitch slapping each other on like a playground. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to say too much more because I realise this, this is dear to your hearts and it's, no point. it's just no point. <laughs> Well, no, like I said, like, that's why I thought it was relevant at the beginning, isn't it? It just just comes down to like, you know, like whether you get on board with it and stuff. And and I, I was similar to you when I originally saw it. I was kind of like, oh, I'm not sure this this whole like immediately falling in love thing is a big goofy. And it's, you know, but you do see so many people online who like love that storyline. And I think to me on a second watch, I was kind of like, well, it's kind of just like a Beauty and the Beast kind of situation, isn't it? It's kind of, you know, even in... Yes, in the animated Disney, there's a bit more like, you know, you see them having dinner together and she kind of, you know, you see her falling in love. But again, it's it's, it's not like a long spanning thing. It's very rushed. So it kind of just adds to, you know, that that's the way I, I kind of saw it. But, but yeah, you are right. It is just a kind of googly eyes thing. But even then, there is an element in which this story is trying to take, trying to take somebody from the fantastical and place them into, uh, place them into like, reality at that point and just see how like the harshness of reality reacts Mm. so that's why i would have expected that you know falling in love with a character from that from that reality to make sense uh so no to like develop in that way i mean it it makes perfect sense why he would immediately fall in love with her right Mm. she is the first uh first like woman that he would have seen uh apart from her mother but 
Yeah. Let's face it, not as attractive as the daughter. Um, <laughs> from his perspective, I just would have liked to have seen why she would eventually then fall for him, apart from just the fact that she was in a bad relationship and it just seemed not that bad. She was freaked out by him, and I would have liked to have seen how that was like warmed up to, especially considering she was also one of the people insulting his... What's the word for fancy head trimming? Because it has oh, a term. Temporary, is it? Oh, topiary. Yes. Yeah, yeah she, she was one of the ones freaking... And then it's just when he was on the TV just staring out, she started to sort of fall for him. I would have liked to see like, an actual more meaningful link there. Yeah, I think, again, I don't know what like Laura's stance on is, but I think for me, the the link I saw was more that she was kind of seeing... I I didn't see it as a kind of like, oh, I love this person specifically. It was kind of like she was trying to connect to this, like she started to realise how she felt bad for him and she felt the, like, you know, the outsider thing. So she kind of related and sympathised to him. So it was almost kind of like a a lost youth kind of like again because the the way the town was reacting the more she grew stronger to him so again even at the end when she said like i love you i was kind of like i don't know if you fully mean that it almost seemed as if she was saying it to kind of please him in some ways she's telling Um, stories about him to her grandchildren for god's sake yeah no but what i mean again it still comes down to that teenage romance kind of thing isn't it like a non-serious kind of like you know oh you know love at first sight kind of thing so it's it's an idealized version in her head. So that's what I'm saying is that she sort of like has latched herself to it as an idealized love, um, which is kind of like is because she has obviously these insecurities and she doesn't like the fact that she's like getting dragged into this darker world in which she's got a boyfriend and all her neighbors are all kind of like, this is the way things got to be. Like she, that dinner scene where she says, you know, oh, I think it's really nice if Ed would give the bag of money to to the loved ones and you know everyone else you know they're like but that's not you know what is right and she's you know so that's where she differs to everyone else so i kind of she so relates to that i mean i hope you're wrong because if because if you're right that's really horrible for edward (laughs) (laughs) like i do like i do like edward as a character uh insofar as i do just pity him um he doesn't have all that much of a character apart from just being incredibly uh incredibly sympathetic and kind so yeah, I don't I don't want that to be true. I want like there to be an actual thing. So Yeah, again, I'm not saying it's like it's not there at all. I'm just saying that like it's the difference between a, a you know a teenage love and a you know an adult love. That's all I'm saying. So I'm not saying her feelings don't exist, but but Laura, what what's your take on it? Um yeah, I kind of well, better both three. I think maybe because, you know, I mean she's with this I can't remember what her boyfriend's name is. I don't remember names of people if I don't <laughs> like them, so I don't know his name. Yeah. Conventional jock, angry jock. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, but I don't know. I think it's like, I think you touched upon it a little bit, David. The sort of, you know, she was with this guy who was, you know, not a nice person, to put it mildly. I think she just had, you know, somebody else in her life that she sort of like, I think if she didn't have Edward to sort of show her, like, you know, your you should be, you know, with someone who's, you know, nice and kind and, you know, is is a nice human, well, he's not a human being, but a nice person then. Then she sort of looked at him, at Edward, and thought, this is what I should be having, not this person, which is just 
wanting to make everyone else's life miserable. He doesn't care about anyone else. All he cares about is himself. You know, he's up for burgling his own father's house to just get yeah. a payout of money so they can buy a van. So, and then, you know, Edward's just so like, oh, you know, I'll do, you know, he, Edward was, you know, doing all the gardening for people for free and mm. all that kind of stuff. And I think it just made him realize like, you know what, that's actually a lot of a, you know, a much better person than this person that I'm, I'm with at the moment. So maybe this person is, you know, a better option for me. I do also love, like, you know, said, the, the, you know, the technical stuff in this film. I love, like, you know, the way it shows, like, that shot where all the husbands go to work and all the cars kind of come out, like, almost like a little model, like, toy cars, and they all drive off at the same time. And then all the women, like, all the women, they go into the house at the same time when the husbands arrive. And I know Craig mentioned earlier about like, you know, that whether there was that progression between the town turning on him. But I don't I thought that was quite realistic. The fact that she wanted she seduced him. He walked away from her. So she was instantly like, you know what, I'm going to turn the entire town on you straight away. And so the fact that that woman then, you know, I, I thought of it in my head like Chinese whispers. Isn't it? You say, oh, you know, uh, he forced himself on me. And then that one woman on the phone goes, he he practically raped her and then the next person could say he raped her you know that that is what happens in life isn't it people just take you know like she said practically raped somebody just takes raped away from that and then it just turns into that scenario so that's why i kind of bought into that it was just the entire gossipy nature she didn't like that he turned her down so she just instantly turned on him um and he was just he was just the big fad in town you know like oh let's all get our hair done with him let's all do this it's you know it's that kind of aspect yeah, I just wish I, I just wish we'd actually seen that properly instead of it, instead of it just being overheard. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair enough. Um, and like we said, the Christmas aspect of it, you know, me and Laura saw the Christmas tree, but, uh, but Craig missed missed the entire party on that one. He was out at the time; he wasn't invited. Uh, but I think, yeah, it it was released in December, so you know we can't argue with film studios there as well. But the the posters are often the snowy landscape and that kind of stuff. So I, oh, that again, scene wound me up, by the way. <laughs> like I understand, I I thought it was a really nice scene what he was doing with the ice sculpture, even if I found like the way in which the ice would be coming off to be not realistic. But then the fact that she instantly just goes to dancing in it, I was just like, what are you doing? Yeah. And again, it's never even established as a character that that would be something that they would do. The fact that it was only until we hear us talking to like a granddaughter, whatever, about the, it hadn't snowed before then, that there was any relevance to her wanting to do that. And I was just like, just doing that up front just seemed really weird. Yeah. Like I said before as well, I think that's the Christmassy aspect to me as well is the idea of telling the story and the fact that she says it never snowed before. So it, it gives the impression that it is Christmas when she's telling the story and, you know, it's, it's obviously Christmas when she's finished the story. Like you said, it's, it's not purely like, oh, this is a Christmas film. It's just one of those films that you kind of like has that Christmassy vibe about it, um, has elements of it, but is not strictly about Christmas, which I think is the same for the other film we're going to talk about but like i said it it is purely set at christmas kind of thing so that's that's that is the big difference to be fair any any other thoughts on it like laura what craig was saying there about like the dancing in the snow and stuff it is very much down to whether you get on board with the theatrics of it isn't it like the danny elfman score is like going for it at certain times you know when she's walking up that castle at the beginning with you know when she's done her failed avon stuff and like the da danny elfman score is really like you know overwhelming at that point 
Um, and the the dancing in the snow, like I said, it is she's the way she's acting is so like over the top and stuff. But again, it just depends if if you invest yourself in it. Do you love the theatrics of it or? Yeah, yeah, I do. I think it. I think it really makes the film. Like I love, I love all the exaggerated stuff of a Tim Burton film. Yeah, definitely. But I think, I don't know. I think this viewing as well. I think it's really hit me personally because I do a lot of work with physically disabled uh, people now. And I just see that in in Edward that he is physically disabled, really. Mm. Um, but he can still do all these amazing things. And it just really, you know, hit me like sort of like, yeah, well, you know, all right, they can't do this, that and the other, but they can do this, this and this kind of thing. I think the whole thing of, you know, him eventually having to flee and leave the town because, you know, of one thing he's done wrong really which wasn't really anything that you know he didn't realize he was doing anything wrong when he burgled that house or mm. that he turned that lady down and i just think like there's so many instances where like disabled people have you know you know you see you see people all the time who have like meltdowns in the supermarket because it's too loud or stuff mm. like that and then you get you get all the people sort of like oh my gosh like what is this person and stuff like mm. that so that really hit me like sort of like you know, oh, you've done this wrong now, so we don't want you anymore. So mm. go back to where you came from kind of thing. So I think that, that is why, like, this time I was I was actually getting a little bit choked up watching it, just like, oh, bless him, he's got to go now because yeah. he's done something and nobody likes it. But when you think of, like, all of the neighbours, like, especially that Joyce lady, the, the, the guy, the woman who tried to seduce him, she is just irredeemable. She is just a horrible, horrible person. <laughs> Yeah. And it's just like because she looks normal, and because she acts normal for the the neighborhood, she is accepted. And it just yeah, it's quite quite heartbreaking really to think that because he doesn't look like everyone else, that he's just like no, you've done something wrong now, go away. Yeah, like you said, even outside of like things like disabilities and stuff like that, it is just the idea of if somebody's different. So again, that's why I think Tim Burton sees himself in the characters, just if you're just a bit of a, a different character or that kind of stuff. Yeah, just how quickly people can pick somebody up and drop them again. You know, they, you know, Edward's the latest fad. And then as soon as, like you said, he's done something wrong, you know, they drop him really quickly as well. So, you know, I think that's why... You know, that that become you know became a big film in that point it almost reminded me as well of another christmas film uh the grinch because the newer grinch the ron howard one almost has the same story in which all these people are loving the grinch when he comes down to be the cheemeister and they're all feeding him pudding and like you know when he's like they're feeding him the salad it reminded me of that and the grinch and then again the moment he does something wrong or they take the mick out of him he turns on them kind of thing and i was like oh this is quite similar to <laughs> similar to that so, yeah, that, that is Edward Scissorhands, which, like I said, you know, controversial as to whether it's a Christmas film. Depends if you're paying attention in the last act or not. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it does have a lot of, you know, links to Christmas, a lot of imagery, etc. And, um, yeah, I do agree with Craig as well in terms of some of the inconsistencies. Where does he get the blocks of ice <laughs> to do all these sculptures? <laughs> yeah, I know. Steven Spielberg presents Gremlins. Billy Pelser has a nice home. Billy, is that you? Yeah, Ma, it's me. A nice job. A nice girl. 
If you're not doing anything this Thursday night, maybe you'd like to uh, go out on a date with me? I'd love to. And loving parents who were about to give him... You're gonna like this. No, 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 don't shake it. We're gonna have to open it now. Won't wait till Christmas. The most unusual gift he ever got. What is it? It's your new pet. Come on, Barney, be a good dog. My dad gave it to me. But there are a few things to keep in mind. If you expose it to the light, you may hurt it. If you get it wet, it will multiply. All that from water? They got wet? Yeah, plain water. And most important, no matter how much they beg, never, never let them eat after midnight. Because when they do, they change. They become clever. Mischievous. What's going on here? And dangerous. Gremlins, huh? Little monsters. Right. Hundreds of them. Well, I, I don't know, maybe thousands. They've been here too. Billy, what are these things? Where do they come from? Look, I know it sounds crazy, I know. But in a few hours, you're gonna have a major disaster on your hands. Directed by Joe Dante. They'll be expecting you. Craig just grinning at the very moment in that film that I knew that he would love. So yes, that is uh, Gremlins, uh, which was uh, released all the way back in 1984. It was directed by Joe Dante, uh, written by Chris Columbus. So another, you know, alumni of uh, Christmas films with Home Alone and... Uh, classics such as, you know, Harry Potter, etc. And uh, it stars Zach Galligan, Phoebe Cates, Hoyt Axton, and also Don Steele. So, you know, it's a very infamous, you know, nostalgic film for a lot of people. Um, it's, you know, appointment viewing for some people at Christmas, especially. But, but yeah, for a lot of us, you know, it was one that passed us by, especially Laura and Craig. And, uh, yeah, I wanted to go back to our expectations because Craig specifically felt that this would be the least Christmassy film of the two. And it was just like, I, he didn't even know it was a Christmas film until, you know, like we mentioned it for the podcast. And how ironic that this is the film that takes completely at Christmas and the opening of it is like, you know, <laughs> the, the title card alone is just there in like the Christmas village. And uh, and yeah, Craig, what, what was your... What was your summary in the end of uh, liking the children? You said before you were going to judge them based on whether they did get it wet or feed them after midnight. So what, what was your consensus on that in the end? Oh, yeah. they they. If you're going to ask me about that, the film gets a pass for me. So my big concern was you were given these explicit instructions that you somehow seem to ignore. So I'm actually glad that when it came to getting it wet, it was just an accident. It was a stupid accident because... Who keeps a glass of water right next to their pet <laughs> when they're told they should never get that pet wet? But, you know, stuff happens. I get that. And then it makes sense that given the society that they were in, they saw what that actually does and think, hey, maybe we could like abuse this. With regards to feeding after midnight, I think it was good that they actually showed that the, the Mogwais were trying to deceive him and actively broke the clock so that he would think that it's fine. So insofar as they actively manipulated him into thinking that he was actually okay and he was still looking to respect the rules, 
I, I can't have fault with that. I think that just shows the devious deviousness of of the Mogwais becoming gremlins. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to judge them for that. I had such fun with this film. It is, it is undeniably goofy, um, but on a technical level, I think a lot of the puppetry still holds up, even if some of the deaths are like a bit of obscene. I mean, like the scene, the scene with like the 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 digger bulldozer, whatever it was. That guy just stood carefully in its path, being like, "Oh no!" <laughs> uh, instead of just running for it. Obviously, the horrible old woman being yeeted from a house <laughs> was amazing. Just the fact you then come, you come back to her, and she's just there lying dead on the street, but her legs up in the air on the chair. Yeah, it's just the fact to build it up to that. She's like, "They've come for me. It's my time." I'm like, I just love the fact that she knows she's been a dick for an entire life. So she's like, "It's come the moment the demons have come for me." I'm like, "Yeah, you know you've been a bitch." <laughs> We're literally building up like a wicked witch of the west thing with her because yeah. she was talking about getting your. It's like I'll get your pretty little dog one day. <laughs> Leave the dog alone. Yeah. It's just a perfect representation of like the idiot, uh, the idiocy of pursuing capitalism, basically. And what did you think of it as a Christmas film? Oh, it's undeniably Christmas. Mm. Uh, I mean, they're playing Christmas songs. They're watching It's a Wonderful Light. I, I can't deny it's not Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Laura, your big... So, looking back to the past, Laura, you said, why have you not watched Gremlins? It was what you wanted to say to past, Laura. So, you know, do you still agree with that statement? <laughs> I I... I'm happy I watched it because it is a cult classic. Mm. But I gotta be honest, oh. didn't really do it for me. Oh, we got another clash, just like <laughs> this is the it's the reverse of you know, you either go Edwards' hands or you go Gremlins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was it that uh changed it for you? I don't know. I just the, the whole time I was watching it, I kind of I just I just couldn't get invested in it. I don't know what it was. I just, I don't know. Like there was just little things that just annoyed me throughout the <laughs> film. It was just like, oh, okay. Like, I don't know. Like the, the, I don't know. It seemed very sort of like filmish in some places. Like the mm. part where he comes in and the, store, the sword falls off the, the, the wall and just like, well, he's going to be using that sword later on then, isn't he? I like, just thought like, oh no, there's this in Europe. And like, there was all like little nods to like E.T. and they're like, the t- where um, he's hiding in the department store. Mm. One of the, I think it's Stripe, isn't it? And he's, he's hid behind the E.T. toy amongst <laughs> the toys. I'm just like, oh really, that's just so cheesy. But okay then. I think just little things like that all the way through, like sort of, not ruined it for me, but kind of I just thought, oh, okay, right, fine. And like the the thing that really bothered me was when they're all in the in the bar and they're all drinking beer. <laughs> and I'm thinking, does beer not count as water? Like they were told don't even give it water to drink. Surely beer counts as water. So kind of like hmm. Uh not too many health professionals to be fair. No, that's true. But it does still contain water, so it's kind yeah. of like but it's it's also similar to Edward Scissorhands in the sort of like the second watching thing for me, I think, because and I think it might, you know, whether it be a year's time or, you know, whenever. But I think it would be worth rewatching, Laura, just because I had a similar experience, which I watched the first time. I was like, 
that is a very weird, bizarre film, but I can see why it's a classic. I appreciated watching it. But again, on the second watch, I was kind of like, right, I get it a bit more now. It's like, it's so satirical, especially because that trailer kind of made it, made out even more where they said, you know, oh, uh, this kid who lives in a typical family home and the sword drops down as he enters as if it's like, oh, it's not a typical family home. It's fallen apart and his dad's this bad inventor and everything he invent, you know, everything in their house is this bad invention and they kind of you kind of expect them to live this idyllic american life but then you know like i said he literally walks into his mum being like strangled (laughs) almost by a christmas tree but it's like a gremlin inside a christmas tree but but yeah there's so many like like the scene with the cinema i was on you know i was watching it because it's snow white i was like is this even like a commentary on like, you know, even more relevant now about like consumerism as if they're like, you know, oh, Disney films, that's all you get these days. And then the fact that all the gremlins are getting like loving Snow White and they're all like charging at them afterwards. I was like, yeah, this definitely seems to be going down the route of like, we know what we're doing. We know we're being stupid and goofy and we're like, so again, like where Craig said earlier, where the guy was in front of the snowplow, it's almost as if they're doing that on purpose because it's a, a satire of that kind of genre. But but I know with the second one, it's, you know, they go even more down that goofy humor and that kind of stuff. So again, it depends how much you buy into that and, and enjoy it as well, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I got to say, though, I did enjoy the kitchen scene with his mum killing <laughs> all the gremlins. That one, that that was that was a good scene. I did enjoy that. And the blowing, blowing it up in the microwave. I'm just like, <laughs> there's every zombie apocalypse. I want this lady on my team. Like, she is badass. This is the one. The fact that she basically turned into a knight with a sword and shield. I just love that look. <laughs> She's just there with this tray and a knife. But also, but she was just one of the most proactive women I've ever seen in film. Most people are just like, oh, women, damsels, and damsels in distress. I'm just going to show her others. Like, that's my champion. Go for it. She literally says, like, get out of my kitchen, doesn't she? As if, like, you know, she has this nice, like, neat, clean kitchen. She's making cookies. And then they come in and, like, cause havoc. She's like, don't mess with my kitchen kind of thing. I will use my kitchen utensils to kill you because I know how this kitchen operates. <laughs> but, but it, yeah, they almost do it as well with the girlfriend, don't they? With that, like, tragic backstory as well. Like, my dad died, like, coming down the chimney and everything. And again, the first time I watched that, I was like what the hell is this? But again, the second time, I was like, they must be doing it on purpose. This has got to be like a... I had a... That scene, I had a mixture of just laughing and going, this is ridiculously dark. Yeah. Something that then... That Billy never then acknowledges. And then later in the film, just turns around and kisses her as the big climax. I will say, Edward Scissorhands definitely had the better romance of the two films. Because that, <laughs> that was literally just... Can I take you out on a date sometime? Sure. This is how my father tragically broke his neck by uh, trying yeah. to imp- imitate Santa Claus. And the fact she added in the line, and this is my favourite line of the film, that's when I discovered there was no Santa Claus. Like, but... What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculously savage. That is the moment in which they're like, darkness stepped up. And it, it kind of... You were saying about Nightmare Before Christmas earlier, isn't it? It's kind of on that same level. So how did you feel about that, Laura? It's that that idea of, oh, let's take this happy, jolly time of year and go psycho with it and have it be this horrific, you know, time of year. You know, it's Oh, that. yeah, like that that aspect of it was was really fun. Was really yeah. fun. But like 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 Craig said with the with the, you know, 
traumatic storytelling of her dad dying i was just like that's that's a bit too you know that that yeah. that is real life can we not put that in like the, the line where she says something like oh you know christmas day some people are opening presents and other people are opening their wrists and i was just like yeah. whoa no is is that absolutely necessary to put in the film like whoa now this this i was not expecting that i thought this was going to be you know as is it it's a horror comedy not a you know think about your life kind of film yeah. you know what i mean she literally like is giving him stats about like you know what happens at that time of year she was like oh more people like you know commit suicide this time you're like oh god but yeah <laughs> i i mean i respected it for that i was i was just gonna be like okay you're you're really gonna go down this aspect uh, aspect of let's not just totally glamorize christmas like this okay fine i understand that low people are not necessarily going to like this and appreciate this but screw it i'm in a dark sense i have a dark sense of humor let's just go for the ride <laughs> it's also the fact that it depends on how much you get on board with the the tense tension and build-up so when i watched that trailer i was just that's why i was interested in with the trailer i was like I wonder if the trailer shows the gremlins because they spend so long building it up, doesn't it? So there's that scene with the scientist and he's like got the Snickers and he's trying to lure him out. And they spend so long, like you don't see the gremlins until literally they start attacking the kid. So they never, you know, they show him like the hole in the wall. They show, you know, like him biting the hand off, but you don't see what's underneath. I was like, well, they better not show them in the trailer then because that would ruin this entire half of this film. And they didn't. So I was like, you know, they kind of show the back of them and stuff. And I was like, no, that's that's good. They showed the psycho stuff they were doing, but they didn't show like the Gremlins Christmas caroling. They didn't show like, you know, they didn't show them there choking like, you know, the mother and like literally like going at people with chainsaws. They just showed like glimmers of them. I will say the final confrontation with Spike was ridiculous was just a bit too stupid for me he has a chainsaw versus a kid with a wooden baseball bat he should not have been fighting him for like <laughs> as long as he was it should literally have just been <laughs> and why did he keep hold of the chainsaw when it like dragged him away he was just like no i'm not letting go of this it was like okay <laughs> I, I just i do love that scene where they just show up as carolers just the fact that they went through the effort to traumatize this woman by dressing up in little hats and scarves. That that's that's my favorite element of it as well is the fact that the the neighbor when he says like oh it's gremlins and it was literally the night I watched that film or like the day after um I went to get petrol and the you know where it says like pay a pump or pay a kiosk it wasn't working so you had to pay in the kiosk and I went in there and um I was like, oh, the pay a pump thing doesn't work. He was like, yeah, the, it's, it's, it's all been a bit funny. And uh, I felt like saying like gremlins. And I was, I was like, but I didn't think you'd appreciate the joke. He looked a bit like tired and pissed off. So, but I was going to say, I would also love it if he's never heard of the, the term gremlins when it comes to machinery. Exactly. Yeah. You just heard him go gremlins. He's just like, what? What's that film got to do with this? Yeah. But that's what I liked about it is just the fact that that guy did just say like, oh, it's gremlins in the technology. And then just the entire film just plays off that. And like that guy does say like, oh my God, it's the gremlins. And it literally is the gremlins. (laughs) Yeah. Do they ever actually officially refer to them as gremlins? Not apart from when he's saying like gremlins. I'm not sure. No. Well, no, but like he's, he's saying gremlins when it comes to just things in the machinery. He never calls the monsters gremlins. 
No, that's what I mean. I don't know if yeah. No, so it's a yeah. nice su- it's a nice subtle way of doing it. Yeah. One of my favorite scenes as well is also when they have again because is that when they're playing like the the jolly Christmas music and it's the town and you can see like all these cars are like burning and people are like running and you see that like silhouette and there's like a shadow of somebody with like a gremlin on their head and it's when like jolly Christmas is playing in the background or something like that. What one thing I do love about this film is I, I think this is the other reason I just sort of realized quite early on just how how unashamed it was was just the fact that they were using a load of pre-existing films you know showing on the tv to basically uh draw parallels to where they were at their point of the story so obviously they had wonderful uh it's a wonderful life at the beginning uh then it was i can't remember what film it was but it was the one with like the alien pods and that's around when the gremlins just the fact they were showing all these films i was just I, I just realized then it was basically just going to be a weird homage yeah, um, to like these story aspects and then just having fun with it. Yeah, and like Laura said, you know, you got the E.T. stuffed toy and all that later on. One of my favorite aspects of it, and, you know, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, it's even worthy of sing-along is the, you know, the song. I guess that just gets in my head. And the reason it popped into my head no longer was I think... I was playing something on like Spotify, you know, it can automatically play like r- similar songs afterwards. And that came on out of nowhere. And I was like, oh, what's this? And I was like, looked at it. I was like, oh, it's Gremlins. But it's been in my head ever since. And it's such a like weird, crazy, but catchy tune. Final thoughts, guys. What do we feel about dark Christmas films? Do they work? You know, are they better as a sort of like polar opposites to your more holly jolly Christmas films? Can they be watched at other times of the year? What do you think? I well, I quite like um, alternative Christmas films. I'm not one for all the oh everything's wonderful kind of Christmas films. They kind of make me a bit <laughs> a bit like, uh, no Christmas it's, movies. It's, <laughs> it's it's too much. It's too much. Like. So the holiday, I've never seen it. People say, oh, the holiday. And it's like, yeah, but it looks like a nice film. No, like, <laughs> not for me. So, yeah, it's a nice it's a nice break. And sometimes I think Christmas can sometimes be a little bit too, not to sound like, you know, a bit weird, but sometimes Christmas can be a bit too like, oh, wow, it's Christmas. I love yeah. And it's just like. Yeah, nobody's like that any time of the year, <laughs> even at Christmas. Can we not? Can we lower the the the, the whole jolliness of it? So yeah, yeah, yeah. If if only there was a film out there that was telling us the suicide rates of Christmas, then I think people <laughs> would really get behind the idea that Christmas isn't always that positive. But even with other films we talked about in the past, isn't it like Home Alone? Like that kind of shows the realistic, the busy family, the craziness of it, the running around and all that kind of stuff. So I'm you know, glad you defined quite quickly on what you meant by the realistic elements of Home Alone. <laughs> you know, the abandonment, you know, that happens all the time now. <laughs> In fact, you have to fight off some criminals. <laughs> Yeah, not not realistic injuries by by any means, but but yeah. So uh, you know, our final segment then, guys, the movie vault. How do these films fare in terms of the movie vault? Again, this is going to be a really contentious one, isn't it? Because they're both, you know, <laughs> we both had mixed view, you know, opinions on them. And you know, this is you know, saving movies that should be epitomized for all time, whether they be bad or good. But I don't know. Are we basing it on the idea of them being dark Christmas films? Is it Again, just you know 
Edward Scissorhands for just the Tim Burton link, the Gremlins thing for the the practical effects and the the craziness of it. What you know, what what angle are you are you coming at it, at it from, Craig? What 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 do you think? Laura, can I strike a deal with you right now? <laughs> yes. If I support Edward Scissorhands going in, will you support Gremlins going in? I will, indeed. Cool. Uh, Put them both in, David. <laughs> there you go. 2020, again, that theme of coming together. Is... <laughs> in, in all seriousness, I think, even, uh, I think even if there are elements uh, of Edward Scissorhands uh, that I don't personally enjoy, and if there are elements of Gremlins that Laura doesn't personally enjoy, I think given the given the way it cemented itself within within society especially being like such a subversive uh like subversive way of being able to look at say like winter or christmas in general I think there's I think they both deserve like going in yeah, and I think as well, even if you are then not looking at the Christmas aspect, it's the fact that, you know, Edward Scissorhands is one of the most Tim Burton films there is. You know, Gremlins was directed by Joe Dante, who's also done like films like Small Soldiers. So again, he's kind of into that idea of like crazy, you know, lighthearted objects or creatures that turn deadly and dark. So there's, you know, there's that aspect as well. So you know, I think they're both products of their time and they're both like from two filmmakers who've got a distinct style. So I would say that they, sh- they should be recommended and viewed for that as well. So I think Gremlins is, is, is definitely worth a watch. I'm, I, I'm glad I watched it, um, yeah. even if it was for the thing of, you know, this is a classic film. You need to watch this kind of thing. So, yeah, exactly. Okay, well, into the movie vault this week then goes both our films we watched this week, which is Edward Scissorhands and Gremlins. In you go. And uh, let us know at home if you have any dark Christmas films or unconventional ones that uh, you enjoy as well, which you think should go in there. We'll draw the line in uh, films like Shrek and uh, Mary Poppins, as we discussed before, where Craig <laughs> judged me for seeing those as Christmassy. But, you know, so maybe it does have to have Christmas there in the storyline in some respect, because otherwise, you know, everything under the sun could be considered a Christmas film. <laughs> well, yeah, under your logic, every <laughs> single Oscar film is a Christmas film. Anything that's like aired on BBC One at Christmas is, <laughs> is a Christmas film. <laughs> this week's end game i thought it'd be fun if we looked slightly at the career of tim burton because we talked about him with edward scissorhands and we've got somebody who loves tim burton and somebody who is not a big fan of him so this game will test your abilities in the same way, it'll either be that you love Tim Burton and you know the tropes of him, or you hate Tim Burton and the reason you don't like him, you're going to know whether whether it's a Tim Burton film or not. So we're going to play a game I've called Bonham or Burton. Now, we all know that Tim Burton was famously married to Helena Bonham Carter, and unfortunately they divorced <laughs> and parted ways. So Bonham is the <laughs> divorced, parted way of Tim Burton and Burton is Tim Burton. So you're going to be listening to the plots of different films. Um, I've taken uh, Tim Burton films and sort of described them in a way that may, may not make them sound like the exact film they are or I've taken films that are, you know, maybe related to him or, you know, have some link to him in some way. 
but not given any way key, key plot details. And you have to tell me whether it's a Bonham or a Burton. So again, it doesn't necessarily have to be linked to Burton if it is a Bonham, but there's some link to, you know, to him in some relevance. So it's a Bonham if it isn't a Tim Burton film, and it's a Burton if it is a Tim Burton film. I'll give a point if you get the film. I'll give a point if uh, you can tell me if it's a Bonham or Burton, and there'll also be bonus points if you can tell me why the relevancy of that film has been chosen. Are we both clear on this? <laughs> just, to be, so. just to be clear, right? Because I think yeah. you explained it like three times. If it's a yeah. Burton film, we say Burton? <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's the most clear one, isn't it? <laughs> Let's crack on with Bonham or Burton. So like I said, I'll describe the plot summary of it. So when I say, uh, when you're saying if it's a Bonham or Burton, in order for it to be a Tim Burton film, it has to be directed by Tim Burton. Oh, come Oh, for God's yeah. sake. <laughs> so other films that may appear here, might they might have, he might not be involved in them at all, or he might have some relevance, but if he hasn't directed it, it isn't a Burton. So keep that in mind. So first Bonham or Burton. A much-loved monarch gets lost on a late-night walk. When he returns, he has a new purpose and lease on life. I'm. I'm not sure. I think. I'm. So you're going Bonham or Burton? I, I'm going to go Burton. Okay, Craig, Bonham or Burton? Can I just say I think I know the film. The problem right. is it's tripping me up because I'm trying to remember this exactly. Right. I think the film is Nightmare Before Christmas. Right. Which is obviously presented as Tim Burton's A Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he directed it. So I think... I so, think he was... I think he just created it, but I don't think he actually directed it. So I'm going to say it's Bonham. And what, what film did you... What film did you think it was, Laura? I... Um, Corpse Bride, maybe? So I can tell you that Craig, in terms of Bonham or Burton, is correct. (laughs) So that is one point to Craig. And then in terms of the film, Laura, Craig, it is The Nightmare Before Christmas. Because he's the pumpkin king. Yes. I'm going to be rubbish at this, guys. So, yeah, Uh, Tim Burton wrote the original story and the characters of Nightmare Before Christmas, but it was actually directed by Henry Selick, uh, which often says he's from the same neighborhood as Tim, but uh, he's not, you know, the same guy. Watch those be the only points I get during this. (laughs) Next. A growing nation of warriors and their families are led by their leader, Caesar, as war comes to their doorstep. So, Craig, Bonham or Burton? I feel like you're tripping me up here. (laughs) But I've got to go with my gut. I think it's a Bonham. I think it's Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Laura? I've got Planet of the Apes, but that's a Tim Burton film. So you've gone. So Craig's gone for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes as a Bonham, and you've gone for Planet of the Apes as a Burton. Yes. I can tell you, Laura. Oh, oh no! Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Craig. 
Yeah, you fell for the trap, Laura. It. <laughs> so the season uh, never actually appears in uh, Planet of the Apes. He's the he's the legacy, so he's only in like he's in like the the prequel trilogy. So yeah, that Rise, was the dawn and war for the planet. That was that was the giveaway. Is uh, yeah, Tim Burton directed uh, Planet of the Apes, but it didn't have Caesar in there as a character, and it was more about again the humans, you know, landing and they have to. You know, try and find their way off the planet, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, with that one, it was Matt Reeves directed Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Interestingly, as well, he is directing The Batman, which is coming up in a few years, which Tim Burton also directed Batman. <laughs> so, embarrassingly, nice I forgot that Tim Burton had actually had a remake of Planet of the Apes. <laughs> That's why I was like, why has he brought this up? Is there something I'm missing here? Yeah. Hang on, does that mean I sorry? Does that mean I got a bonus point for the first one? Because I told you it was Tim Burton's A Nightmare for Christmas, but you didn't direct it. Mm. Go on, give uh, it the point. Yeah. I've got no chance to win it anyway. <laughs> Number three, in a world destroyed by a war between man and machine, a small rag doll holds the key to humanity's salvation. Is it a Bonham or a Burton? Some deep thoughts going on here. See, see some cogs spinning in minds. <laughs> we got our answers. Sure. Yeah. Laura. <laughs> well, I think the film is nine, but I can't remember if it's a Burton or not. I'm going to say Bonham. Craig. I genuinely had no idea what the film was. Uh, I said Burton. So, Craig. Uh, Laura, you said it's a Bonham and it's nine. Yes. On both, you are correct. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was directed by Shane Acker and it was produced by Tim Burton. But again, I could just mean he threw some money at it. So, you know, it's often considered a Tim Burton sort of film, but it's not actually directed by him. So two points there to Laura. Next one. A young man, troubled by his father's views, travels the world to experiment with his passion after finding his home and father have abandoned him. Is it a Bonham or a Burton, Craig? Uh, it's definitely a Burton. It's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Laura? I've written Burton, but for some reason I wrote down Big Fish, which is completely wrong. With ah, so... Both of you have said Burton. You're both correct. And then in terms of the film, Craig. It was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So, yeah, Tim Burton directed Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And, yeah, can anyone decipher what the plot was like alluding to in that film? It's it's basically because he goes off to the land of the Oompa Loompas to recruit them, and they have that special cocoa bean. Yeah, but also, yeah, his dad just like ups and the leaves. House and left. <laughs> yeah, I was tempted to like throw in like a plot element of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory just to be cruel, like with the Planet of the Apes thing. But I was just like, nah, that that's a bit too cruel. That one. <laughs> right, next one. An eccentric, childlike man goes on a journey to recover his much-loved bicycle from Warner Brothers Film Studio. Laura, Bonham or Burton? It's a Burton. I can't remember which one exactly it is, but it's definitely Pee-wee. 
Pee-wee. Craig, what have you gone for? Oh, um, I had no idea, but I I said it was Bonham. So you didn't know the film and you said it's a Bonham. Yeah, so I'm getting no points for that round. <laughs> that is the only correct in that in that <laughs> that oh, shut up <laughs> so yeah uh laura with burton and i'll i'll give a point for the film it's peewee's big adventure so two points there for laura so yeah it's catching up now it's actually uh five six so just to clarify tim burton directed peewee's big adventure yes <laughs> again it was one of his early projects i think after seeing the short films he did like vincent uh they they wanted him on this adaptation of peewee <laughs> is that the one with the really weird trucker scene yeah with like the bikers and they're like hassling. large marge large yeah. marge yeah that's it yeah right next okay a young man is torn between fulfilling the expectations of his family and following his heart, so makes a deal with a deity of the land of the dead to win over the princess's affections. Ooh, we got some serious looks in this one. <laughs> Bonham or Burton? Craig? <laughs> I think I can see the film it is. I, I don't think it's Burton, so I'm saying I'm saying Bonham, but I can't remember the name of the film. If Laura. it turns out it's Corpse Bride, I'm going to be really angry with myself. <laughs> Laura? I've written down Corpse Bride. Oh, for God's sake. Oh. So you've put Burton as well, I assume. Okay, so it comes down to whether it's a Bonham or a Burton. I can tell you, in terms of it being a Burton... It is not a Burton, and it is not Corpse Bride. So Craig is correct. It is a Bonham. So that's one point. It's the film which is about like the Day of the Dead, which isn't which came like years before Coco. Uh, it's like, is it the Book of Life? <laughs> yeah, that is that film. But is it that though, David? I could tell you, it is the Book of Life. So <laughs> can. I'll, I'll get Laura. Can you tell me the reason I chose the Book of Life? Because Craig said she got the film now. So, um, well, I don't know. Just because it's like Day of the Dead, creepy stuff. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Was Tim Burton involved with that? I guess. Uh, he wasn't involved with it, but like I said, it's uh, it was produced by Gilmero del Toro, which often gets linked to Tim Burton. And, uh, yeah, like I said, it's a very similar plot to Corpse Bride. Uh, well, it has similar sounding aspects to Corpse Bride, but, uh, but, yeah, the aspects of the, you know, the princess and uh, making a deal with the deity and, you know, fulfilling expectations, some of that give away that it wasn't quite Corpse Bride. So that was directed by, uh, yeah, The Book of Life by George uh, R. Guterres. Um So that's... Do you mean Gutierrez? Gutierrez. <laughs> So one point for that for Craig as well. So two. The next one. The director of several off-kilter and strange films makes a name for himself thanks to his devoted cast and crew of misfits. <laughs> I get some smirks now. <laughs> bon Amo Burton. Craig, do you want to go first? No, no, you can go first. I'm really unsure with my okay. answer. Laura. I think it's a Burton. 
Um, I think it's Edward. Craig? It's exactly what I put. I can tell you, you're both correct. So, yeah, it's a Burton. It is Edward. So, two points each there. I was um, genuinely afraid because of the Misfits thing. Um, yeah, no, it's. I'll, I'll give a bonus point if anyone can actually say, like, why I did choose Edward, apart from it being a Tim Burton film. Like, the relevancy of the description as well. Didn't people basically say that there was a parallel between Tim Burton because a lot of his fil- uh, a lot of his earlier work was quite unsuccessful and Ed Wood was known as like a notoriously bad film director to the point that people would often make links between them and then he made this film uh, he made this film which is sort of a homage to that idea. What do you think, Laura? Do you have same same thoughts? I have or? no idea. I have absolutely no idea. Yeah. It's kind of yeah that I'll I'll give Craig that one. Um, yeah, it's. Pretty much because, you know, like I said, it's Nolf Kilter, strange films. So it is like Tim Burton is, again, like he's doing a film based on his life and career because he, he has the same devoted cast, you know, Johnny Depp, etc., Christopher Lee. Um, and, yeah, he he makes strange and, and bold choices. So, yeah, that that's the reason I sort of put that in there because I thought, well, you know, it might sound like a Bonham because it might just be another film about a strange person. But, but yeah. Okay, so we have two left now. In the aftermath of a family tragedy, a young woman is haunted by the ghosts of her past in a haunted house that breathes, bleeds, and remembers. So, we both ready? I've got something. I don't. Yeah. I don't know if it's right. Craig, what have you gone for? Uh, I think it's a Bonham. Uh, I've gone for Coraline. Okay, Laura. Um. I think it's Monster House, um, and I think it's a Burton, if I remember correctly. Okay. So, in terms of it being a Bonham or a Burton, it is a Burton. Oh, sorry, no, it's a Bonham. Oh, <laughs> it's a it's a Bonham, which means Craig is correct. But uh, in terms of the film, it is not monster house and it is not Coraline (laughs) neither of those are correct so the film is Crimson Peak so again any other guesses as to why I might have chosen that one or the link relevancy there's quite a few links to to Burton here doesn't Helen and Bonaparte uh, Carter play like a big role in that and it was around the time of their divorce no. Any other guesses? I've got nothing. So it's directed again by Gil Eremo del Toro. So there's again the link that they're quite similar directors, quite dark, gothic kind of stuff. Um, it stars Mia Wasachowska, which is Alice from Alice in Wonderland, which is a Tim Burton film. And it also, I thought, sounded maybe like it could be like a kind of Sleepy Hollow kind of vibe in terms of like haunted houses and you know these are hilarious stuff. these are hilariously <laughs> tenuous links for what's meant to be like bonus point material david well that's why it's bonus in that, point. Si- in that situation it's just it starred an actress who has worked for burton <laughs> <laughs> well it was like the next big role she had after as in wonderland so he did lead to her success and she was in another dark gothic film so but I am actually going to give Laura a bonus point for Monster House because I know, again, I know you thought that it was Tim Burton, 
But Monster House was one of the ones I considered, and it is one that people consider. So just the thought that you thought there could be Monster House, I thought was worthy of recognition. <laughs> just because it was one that I did consider putting on the list. But it isn't a burden, to be clear. <laughs> final, final one. A young boy travels to a home of powerful mutant children, all gifted with supernatural abilities that they must use to fend off sinister enemies. I swear to God, David. <laughs> Laura, what have you gone for? Bonham or Burton? I said Burton. And I think it's Miss Peregrine's Home for Extraordinary Children, or whatever the title is. <laughs> Craig? I've also said uh, Burton, but I've gone for Paranorman. Oh. So you both gone for Burton? Yep. Cheers. Correct. In terms of the film, Paranorman is... Now, that is a... Uh... Oh, what's the studio called now? The Stop Motion Studio, which again is... <laughs> was Henry Selleck was involved in Coraline and, yeah, um, Laker, Laker Studio. So, yeah, it doesn't have anything to do with Tim Burton, unfortunately. But Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children is correct. I'll, I'll accept strange children or whichever one you actually said but but close enough close enough yeah with that one that wraps up the end game of bonham and burton and it was a close one but craig has won that with 12 points to laura's 10 so congratulations craig and uh Thank yeah you very much well done to laura as well for uh still getting some bonus points in there getting close no it was tech 12-10 is very close. And yes. That, that, that was the good thing about this. Is like I said, either of you could have had it because it could have been from a place of love or a place of hate. <laughs> so, uh, yes. Thank you for joining us today, Laura. It's uh, been a pleasure as always. And, uh, yeah, it's been nice to have you on another sort of Christmas special. Uh, where can we find you? Where is uh, your Twitch, etc., all your socials? Yes, so um, I'm currently doing a lot of streaming over on Twitch um, with my Twitch channel, which is Lola Lyshan, which is spelled L-A-W-L-A-L-E-Y-S-H-O-N. All my socials, my Instagram and my Twitter are all under the same, so just search for that and you'll find me. Awesome, yeah, go check it out. Any fun streams or Christmas stuff coming up at the moment, though? Um, I've got a few things organised. Um, hoping to do a uh, a guest guest my my husband guesting on one of my streams before Christmas, and uh, maybe a bit of karaoke as well before before oh. we finish for Christmas. So that'll be interesting. <laughs> Get people doing the gremlin theme. Da, 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 da. <laughs> no lyrics, just la 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 las. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, like I said, thank you for joining us. Uh, Craig, obviously, we've got another big event coming up soon, uh, which is also linked with Christmas fun and quizzes and games and all that kind of stuff. I'm not sure if we'll have karaoke, but, you know, I'm sure Craig will take over on that one if we do. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not going to let you take over these end games forever. So <laughs> next week I come back to my crowning glory and we put three more teams of, the, of former guests through their paces with more festive themed end, end games. Yeah, so an entire episode dedicated to the end game once again. And uh, yeah, with a Christmas theme, it's going to be very fun. 
And uh, yeah, you can like Laura, you can catch us on socials as well. You can catch us on Well Good Movies on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And you can also catch us on our website, which is www.freshtakehub.com slash wellgoodmovies. And you can catch us on all the socials for that, Fresh Take Hub, uh, where there's a lot of written content, including a written review of, uh, as of this week's Mandalorian episode, which uh, Craig has written, uh, talking all about Boba Fett. And uh, we've got a lot of other Christmas fun. You can catch my Sunday movies article, which is talking about Nightmare Before Christmas a few weeks ago. And then we got a bunch of reviews of uh, of uh, oh-so-good Christmas films, which I'm sure you'd love, you know, Laura, which is all talking about the, the, how great Christmas is and how good it is. There's no darkness or any, you know, like trees getting eaten. What's going on? It's all, it's all happy stuff. What, what, you know, we don't want that. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you guys once again. And uh, yeah, tell us at home your favorite Christmas films and your dark Christmas ones. And uh, we look forward to having you join us on Christmas for our Endgame special. So thanks, guys. And uh, catch you soon. Bye. Bye. Merry Friday. Mm-hmm.